Welcome to the program and welcome to Big Company Wednesday, a day to look at troubles for a number of big companies in our segment ahead. Plus, later on in the program, we're going to be talking about your kids and their mental health as they head back to school. Plus, a news roundup at the bottom of the hour. And as always, on the Alan Carter Radio Program, an alligator update. Alligators? That's right. But we begin in the United Kingdom where despite having his majority stripped away and his tenuous grip on power weakened, Prime Minister Boris Johnson still has the ability to throw down a quality insult. I want you to listen here, and you got to listen carefully. What you hear first is opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn in the UK, in Parliament this morning, basically accusing uh, Boris Johnson of just, you know, mucking things up. And then Bojo responds. He's desperate, absolutely desperate, to avoid scrutiny. And what you couldn't just quite hear there in the heckle afterwards, perhaps, and you have to watch it on on the old TV, on the tubage, and you can see, you read the lips, and what he says to Corbyn, Prime Minister Boris Johnson says... Don't be a big girl's blouse. Why do you have to be such a big girl's blouse about it? Big girl's blouse. I just think it's always great when you when you can pick up a new insult from somewhere else. So you could just maybe just work in to your own. And I don't know if you can say this. Can you? Because it seems disrespectful to A, big people, B, girls, and C, blouses. But the Prime Minister is in a tight spot, and that is not just because of his use of insults. Here is Redmond Shannon earlier this morning speaking with Kelly Cottrell about how the Prime Minister has really backed himself into a corner here. The no-deal option was never discussed broadly um, during the referendum. It was generally accepted that it would be something softer, or it wasn't really talked about at all. People weren't informed. They are informed now, and potentially a second referendum, as many opposition parties are looking for, would be something that says that this is the the deal Theresa May hammered out with whatever amendments are made to it, potentially. Do you want that, or do you want to stay in? So that would be concrete. This type of Brexit versus no Brexit. But the chances of that happening are still quite remote because you would need the opposition to gain full control of Parliament after a general election. What, what this reminds, I think, a lot of people of when you think about the Canadian comparison, and obviously Brexit doesn't line up with where we were, but you recall at one point when Stephen Harper won a minority and then Jack Layton, Stefan Dion decided, well, maybe we'll all get together and just overthrow the government. Maybe we'll do that. Well, should maybe in the UK, they should they live, look to Lizzie? Should they be looking to the Queen? Here's Redmond Shannon again on that. So the Queen may have her opinion on whether right. Brexit is a good thing or a bad thing. There have been reports that she thinks maybe it was in some ways a good thing. But, you know, we don't know what the Queen thinks. And we shouldn't know because that's the whole system, as we know in Canada, too. The Governor General in a similar position will do as advised. Is, mm-hmm. and, and that is the Queen's job here, too. The Queen keeps up to date, keeps a close eye on things. But I don't think anyone will be blaming the Queen. They will be blaming Boris Johnson, the Conservatives, uh, and those on his side will be blaming the opposition. 
and there is also a similarity as well, because if you recall back to that Harper example I was just making, there was an application to prorogue, and of course the governor general did what was asked, just like the queen has done. And of course you have to ask yourself... Why do you have to be such a big girl's blouse about it? Protests over Brexit to closer to home now, and protests over chicken. A protest is planned against a Chick-fil-A restaurant chain, which is going to open a location in the heart of Toronto on Friday. The U.S.-based company has made international headlines since 2012 for its anti-LGBTQ stances and promotion of conservative Christian beliefs. The company believes in a quote-unquote biblical definition of marriage. And groups have uncovered tax filings where Chick-fil-A's charitable arm made millions in donations to organizations opposed to gay rights. Now, a protest is planned Friday, beginning at 10.30 in the morning, as the chain opens its Toronto location on Young, south of Bloor. Organizers are hoping to keep the demonstration going all weekend long. And it's going to be twofold, and this is where it gets complicated. Because the company is perceived to be anti-gay, and animal rights activists allege the fast food chain is connected to abusive treatment of chickens. So, anti-gay, anti-chicken. Spanish fashion brand Zara, as we move on the corporate list, is seeking to avoid becoming embroiled in controversy over protests in Hong Kong. It has now issued a statement on Chinese social media expressing support for China's sovereignty. Zara, I don't know if you shop there, cheap clothes, you look fashionable, and then they dissolve. Uh, Zara is owned by one of the world's biggest clothing retailers. Making that statement late Monday, after Hong Kong newspaper Ming Pao asked if the closure of four Hong Kong Zara stores on Monday were in support of a student strike. Now, that all of a sudden prompted millions of mainland social media users to comment. So that puts Zara in a sticky situation. So it puts a statement out on China's Weibo social media program saying it supports one country, two systems. That's the policy under which China rules Hong Kong. Later on in the program, an update from Hong Kong on the reversal of that extradition bill. But still with chicken. Police say a man has pulled a gun at a Popeye's restaurant in Houston after being told they were out of chicken sandwiches. Houston police say officers were called to the restaurant Monday night after a group of people tried to order a chicken sandwich. Police say when the manager told them they were out, One of the men became upset, pulled out a pistol. Now, obviously, that is dangerous and ridiculous, but you may know that Popeye's recent release of a crispy chicken sandwich has caused a social media stir, and long lines has formed at that restaurant, especially at Popeye's. People want this specific chicken thing, and they want to put it on Instagram, and now people are so upset they're they're pulling out guns. Anyone need a coffee for all of that? Still with corporations, Starbucks. Shares have tumbled today after the company lowered its 2020 earnings forecast. The Seattle-based coffee giant says it expects adjusted earnings to grow less than 10% in 2020. So, 
apparently we don't need so much caffeine, but maybe we need some woke ice cream. Ben and Jerry's is out with a new ice cream flavor for a cause, Justice Remixed, inspired by racism in the criminal justice system. Part of the proceeds will go to the Advancement Project National Office, which fights for justice across racial and economic lines. Does my ice cream make me look progressive? Does a little bit, doesn't it? Hey. Why do you have to be such a big girl's blouse about it? This is the Alan Carter Radio Program. Coming up, Matthew Bingley, Global News Reporter, will be here with us. He has a feature interview with John Tory that is fascinating in advance of the federal election. And what Tory is saying about where he might throw his support. And you remember, he did this during the provincial election, hedged back and forth. Hey, whoever's going to give us the best deal here in Toronto, I'll support. In the end, it didn't really make any difference, did it? Will his support, one way or the other, make any difference in the federal election? Matthew Bingley is going to join me to talk about that. We are also going to talk about Jugmeet Singh's terrible No Good Tuesday. After I went on the radio program yesterday talking about how perhaps Mr. Singh had hit the bottom and was on his way back up, a major defection from New Brunswick, and now more allegations of racism and whether or not the fact that Mr. Singh wears a turban makes him unelectable in this country. Do you believe that to be the case? This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You're listening to the Alan Carter Radio Program. Welcome back to the program. John Tory is in his second term as the mayor of this fair city. There is some question about whether or not he will seek a third term. The mayor has given himself all kinds of wiggle room with that by saying, you know, if somebody comes in here and wants to undo all the things that I have done or whatever program that I am promoting, then I will be forced to run again. So he has that in his back pocket. But first... He has to navigate the upcoming federal election. And being a big city mayor, you have a little bit of clout, especially in Tory's position where he can stand on the sidelines and say, well, which of the parties, which of the federal parties is most likely to give Toronto the best shake? To talk more about this, Global News' Matthew Bingley joins me on the line. He has sit recently sat down with the mayor and is filing a story on that interview tonight for Global News. Hi, Matthew. We don't have Matthew right yet. So when we do get to him, we will talk about where Tory will put his support, because it will be important. But... Before we get to there, let's talk about the NDP. And yesterday I was on the program and I was talking about the fact that some analysts are thinking that for Jugmeet Singh, they'd already hit the bottom. In terms of Mr. Singh came in and he was, uh, he took over the leadership to much fanfare. Many people had high hopes for him and it just simply has not turned out well. Well, then they unveiled a new ad campaign, and of course now they've released a new ad that uh, ad that goes in French only, and specifically it talks about Jugmeet Singh and his turban and 
that the fact that he is the face of the party in Quebec, at one point he doesn't have his turban on, then they show him putting it on. And the ad comes as the NDP struggles to hold ground in Quebec, with candidates nominated in less than half of Quebec's ridings, and polls suggesting the party could be facing collapse in the province. The party choosing In It For You as its national campaign slogan in an effort to position the NDP as the party working on the behalf of ordinary people. Now, all of this, of course, just went to the background when it turned out that there's a mass defection in New Brunswick. NDP fortunes in New Brunswick ahead of the October federal election took another hit Tuesday with a wave of defections to the Greens. And here is what is so startling about those defections is that when you talk to some of the executives in the party, including the federal NDP's executive member for Atlantic Canada, Jonathan Richardson, they say that racism has got a lot to do with it. Quote, I knew this was going to be a major issue, and I did bring it up to the election planning committee that you know there's going to have to be some discussion about race because it wasn't going well, Richardson said in an interview Tuesday to the National Post. The former NDP executive member says he traveled around the province often to meet members and that the racism card came up a lot, especially in the northern part of New Brunswick, that NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, as a practicing Sikh wearing a turban, that that is a roadblock to electability for candidates. And so now in New Brunswick, this mass defection to the Greens obviously puts wind in the sails of the Green Party. And just one day after Jagmeet Singh had a little bit of decent press on Labor Day, NDP leader, free press, Labor Day. You're welcome. Tuesday, it all went squirrely. And it doesn't seem that there's going to be any way out of this if Mr. Singh cannot attract candidates to run under his banner. There's just not going to be any way out of it. All of the talk yesterday about, well, you know, he will be benefiting from low expectations. Well, no kidding. But if you don't have a candidate locally, there's just nothing you can do about it. So what does that mean for John Tory? Obviously, he's going to be thinking, well, you know, Mr. Singh can promise the moon and the sun and the sky, but if he can't form government, what does that what does that mean? Matthew Bingley joins us on the line now, and Matthew has sat down recently with the mayor of Toronto, and we'll be filing a story on that tonight on Global News at 5.30 and 6. Hi, Matthew. Hi there, Alan. So in terms of where... Tory is shading, and he is a consummate professional at saying precisely nothing and taking forever to do so. (laughs) What is he saying about where his support might go in the federal election? Well, we got into that, of course, as as you say, he is very slick when it comes to really supporting one horse over the other. Now, I, I did ask him if there was one person that he really thought is is the best person to really run the country for the next four years. And, and he hasn't really hitched his, his, his wagon to any particular horse yet. He's saying that, of course, as more details come out, that, that he, uh, he, he really will 
there is a good possibility that he actually will come out in support of one person. Now, the one thing I did really want to ask him as somebody that covers City Hall so much is what the number of issues are that he really sees are the most important ones as far as the federal election goes for the city of Toronto. And in that, there, I, I actually got a bit of an echo of last fall's civic election, him, uh, Mayor John Tory, saying that transit and affordable housing are the two top priorities that he wants to see the next federal government to really continue to pave ahead with. Of course, saying that one of the most uh, important things that you need to do is make sure that your your city, uh, as far as the economic engine of Ontario and arguably Canada, is continuing to move. And that, of course, the people living there who have to work here, well, that they have a place where they can actually live and they don't have to migrate out of the city because obviously he does not want to see something like that. Now, as far as how the Liberals stacked up in the last election or, or the last government cycle, rather, of, of living up to their promises. I asked him about that because the one thing he said he was really hardened to hear about in the last election campaign was the fact that all all the federal leaders were really speaking about transit. And that was something that he wants to see more of an expansion on this time. But to that end, the actually delivering on it as far as the Trudeau Liberals, well, take a listen and this is what he told me. As far as the keeping of promises is concerned, I can only say on those two big ones, transit and housing, they came through and did what they said they would do. I was heartened during the last election that all three leaders had said they would produce the transit funding, um, and indeed this government has produced the transit funding. Now what I'm after is, an, is a continuation of that commitment so that it goes further out than the sort of seven years we have left in their current pledges, because transit planning should go 20, 25 years out, not 10. Now, now, one thing that Tory did say that the Liberals didn't really live up to that he wanted to hear much more about were the uh, mental health and community safety files. He says if they do form another government, he wants to hear much more about that, not to mention that expansion to transit. But he did say on those two files, the transit and affordable housing, that he says that they were increasingly good. Not perfect, he says, but increasingly good was the one thing that he did repeat to me. The other clip I want to play from your interview, and I found this one fascinating, is about ambitions to do more. And, you know, this entire thing about, well, you, you can promise so much, but you have to have the cash to back it up. And then when it comes to having the cash, sometimes that's all about ideology, because, you know, cash is free if you're boring you know, you just borrow the money because you're in power. It's it's not free for the taxpayer. It's just free for the government. Now, I'll play this, uh, Tory, responding to that kind of sentiment. I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, Mr. Singh and Mr. Shear have both said they would uh, maintain a commitment to the current money that is allocated over the next few years by the present government. Uh, neither of them ha have as yet, uh, especially Mr. Scheer, indicated a big ambition to do a lot more. Uh, both the Liberals under Mr. Trudeau and the NDP under Mr. Singh have indicated some intention to do more, to even have greater ambitions, because I think they know that with the Toronto region growing as fast as it is, the need to invest even more in transit and even more especially in affordable housing is a very big and important need. Matthew Bingley joins us on the line. Matthew uh, sitting down with the mayor recently. What did you make of that, Matthew? Well, it was quite interesting, especially the, the fact that you were leading into that with ideology, because we, we actually had a chance to speak about uh, safe consumption sites. And, of course, the facts, as far as Mayor Tory is concerned, that 
the, pointing to the fact that they do save lives. Well, as the provincial government uh, defunding some of those locations here in the city, I asked him about, you know, if, if something like that happened again under a potential conservative government, well, the Liberals stepped in and at least exempted two locations, which you consider the, 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 uh, that potential uh, conservative government, would they do the same thing? And he, of course, said that he hoped that the facts would sort of paint the, the right picture. Now, as far as the, uh, the overall tone of, of what he's really pointing to as far as sitting down and hearing more from these leaders is the fact that he really hasn't had a most recent uh, conversation with them about the federal election. We know, of course, that Trudeau was in his office about three weeks ago. They went over gun crime. They went over a number of election issues. The last time that Tory says he had a similar meeting with Jagmeet Singh was about six weeks ago, even longer for Andrew Scheer. So it, it is interesting to see him point out the city priorities while still saying, listen, this is a big place. There are a lot of things that we need to get into, uh, but but don't don't really be surprised if we come cap in hand, looking for a little bit more more money when it comes to funding the things, especially social programs, which he sees the the federal government as important for. Matthew Bingley is a global news reporter, and you can watch his sit-down interview with Mayor John Tory tonight on Global News at 5.30 and 6. Matthew, thanks you so much for being on the program. Pleasure, Alan. Stay with us. When we come back, a look at some of the news making headlines all around the world. And then later on, a parenting expert joins me to talk about mental health struggles with your kids. If you have kids in school, you know that anxiety and mental health issues are an epidemic. Some ways to help your kids and to help your family survive it. That's coming up on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Welcome back to the program. Let's begin with a quick look at some of the major news stories making headlines, both here in the city of Toronto, but also across the country and around the world. Let's begin with the Bank of Canada which has announced it will hold steady the key overnight interest rate, keeping it at 1.75%. Obviously, that is a huge relief to any of us who might have a variable mortgage. Canadian press reporter Terry Pedwell says the central bank is waiting to make any changes until it gets a better sense of the economic damage being caused by deepening trade conflicts. The bank says the intensification of the U.S.-China trade conflict has been a major drag on global economic momentum and more so than it had predicted in its last statement in July. So it's watching, it says, to see whether the rate needs to be adjusted at its next rate announcement in late October. But the bank is already warning that some of the economic strength seen earlier this year will likely be temporary. And many analysts have already projected that the bank will cut its borrowing rate at its next policy meeting on October 30th mostly due to expanding trade tensions and a deteriorating global economy. And if you read the financial papers at all, my goodness, are the bears out and rampaging. The sentiment is that the headwinds are there and a recession is on the way. And you have to ask yourself, in terms of central bankers and their ability now to move there isn't much wiggle room there. At 1.75 now and contemplating a cut, there's not a whole lot of room to cut further in this economy. 
Now, the days of having to download TV shows or music onto your device before using GoTransit could come to an end as soon as the spring of 2020. Free Wi-Fi, ladies and gentlemen. Here's Global's Dave Woodard with more. Beginning in 2020, you'll no longer be forced to stare at the man snoring on the train across from you. The Ontario government says beginning in the spring, Go Transit vehicles will be outfitted with Wi-Fi. Kinga Surma, the Associate Minister of Transportation for the GTA, made the announcement this morning in Milton. The government says that eventually all 1,475 Go Transit vehicles would connect to Wi-Fi, but the timeline for it to be finished was not disclosed. Dave Woodard, Global News Radio. So there you go. A little bit of the free Wi-Fi. You can catch up on your latest streaming. You can listen to the Alan Carter Radio podcast, which I cannot pronounce. Uh, All of that available to you. And inevitably, some just jerk is going to be, I don't know, watching... What would it? What, what would really annoy you that somebody was watching on YouTube? I know, because I have an 11-year-old son. Memes. I'm just watching some memes, Dad. Son, you're 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 watching 11-second bursts of cacophony. That's it. That's just over and over. yeah, memes. A new study has found that patients in Canada and the U.S. filled opioid prescriptions at a rate seven times higher than those in Sweden after undergoing the same surgical procedures. The study published today in the JAMA Network Open says just 11% of patients in Sweden filled an opioid prescription compared with 79% in Canada. Dr. Karim Lata of St. Mike's Hospital in Toronto co-authored this study and says many people who haven't used opioids before are first introduced to them after surgery. You know, it's hard to quantify how much of what's going on in society in terms of the opioid epidemic can be attributable to this particular period. But we do know that surgery represents one of the most common reasons why someone is first exposed to opioids. And so that's why I think it's an important issue. Nearly 4,500 opioid-related deaths occurred in Canada this last year. We know it is a crisis. And when you look at post-surgery, I mean, this is what blows a hole in the stereotype that I think not too long ago many of us had, which was that the opioid crisis was affecting intravenous drug users. But... It's clearly more than that as people get introduced to opioids because they've got a, you know, post-surgery, a pain medication, and next thing you know, well, I think we know what the outcome has been. 4,500 opioid-related deaths in Canada just last year. A couple other quick health stories. New stats suggest that survival rate for blood cancer outpaces the survival rate of any other cancer. The Canadian Cancer Society releasing data this morning that says overall survival rates have improved now to 63%, that is up 8 percentage points since the early 90s. The most gains have been among common blood cancers, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, leukemia. The survival rate for those cancers increased 16 to 19 percentage points. Now, researchers point largely to advancements in precision medicine essentially customized treatments based on a person's genes or other unique features of the cancer that a person has. 
An estimated 21,000 Canadians are expected to be diagnosed with blood cancer in 2019, and that represents about 10% of all cancer diagnoses that year. Michigan is going to be the first state to ban flavored e-cigarettes. The Democratic governor announcing Wednesday that she's ordered that state, the health department in her state, to issue emergency rules that will prohibit the sale and misleading marketing of flavored nicotine vaping products. The governor saying in a written statement that number one priority, keeping kids safe, and she wants to stop companies that are using candy flavors to, quote, hook children on nicotine. Reaction in the United States to Walmart's decision to stop selling some forms of ammunition has been mixed. All of this in the wake of a series of mass shootings in the United States. Two Walmart employees were gunned down by a co-worker in South Haven, Mississippi back in July. Stanley Jones shops at the store. When you stop the ammunition sales, you'll stop a lot of violence and a lot of crime, so... I think it's a good move. But gun owner and dealer Billy Watkins doesn't think Walmart's decision to pull short barrel rifle ammunition from the shelves will prevent gun violence. You can buy ammunition anywhere. If uh, they take it off the shelf, they'll just go somewhere else. Currently, about one in five bullets purchased in the U.S. are bought at Walmart. Ryan Burrow, ABC News. I have a couple of quick crime stories for you. Let's begin with an update on ASAP Rocky says his client will not appeal his assault conviction for a June 30th street brawl in Stockholm. The Swedish news agency saying Wednesday the rapper does not have the energy to appeal. ASAP Rocky, of course his real name, Rakeem Mayers, he pleaded uh, self-defense, said he had tried to avoid a confrontation with two men who he said were persistently following his entourage. One of them picked a fight with a bodyguard. On August 14th, ASAP Rocky and the bodyguards were given a conditional sentence for the assault convictions. And last month, the prosecutor said he would not appeal the verdict. In Philadelphia, authorities say a pair of socks have helped lead to an arrest in the killing of a Pennsylvania woman nearly 30 years ago. Philadelphia authorities say Theodore Dill Donahue is now charged with the murder and numerous other counts in the 1991 death of his 27-year-old girlfriend. His lawyer says Donahue maintains his innocence. State police made the arrest Tuesday. The body was found in 91 in a wooded portion of an undeveloped cul-de-sac in a residential community. Authorities believe the body was moved there after Culb was murdered. Authorities say the case was built on new investigative tools, including photo-enhanced technology that connected a pair of separated socks, including one that was found on the body. In Michigan... A couple who won $500,000 on a state lottery scratch-off ticket back in 2016 have now been charged with a string of burglaries. A 29-year-old and 28-year-old were arraigned Friday on home invasion possession of burglary tools. They're each being held on $50,000 cash. And finally, in New Jersey, authorities say a woman stole a $28,000 diamond ring from a New Jersey Costco by replacing it with a much cheaper ring she had stolen from a different Costco. Man, that return policy at Costco is amazing, is it not? Welcome back to the program. Of course, kids back at school, and if you are a parent of young children or kids in high school or even in university, you have got to keep your eye out on their mental health. You have, you know, if you are a parent, that uh, depression 
uh, is a major issue in schools, anxiety, a huge issue, especially amongst girls, especially in high school. And it is a big issue and something that I think as parents we have to think about, as educators we have to think about. Dr. Karen Milligan is Associate Professor and Director of Clinical Training at the Department of Psychology at Ryerson University and joins me on the line. Hi, Karen. Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me. In terms of maintaining your kids' mental health, how much can parents really do? This seems, sometimes I I, I struggle as a parent. How much can I do? How much do I have to go and find, or should I go and find outside help? I think it all starts uh, with parents really connecting with their kids. So I think, you know, even starting when kids are very, very young, before we even get to the high school ages, it starts with just talking to your kids about the days that they've had, about their challenges, and really listening, not sort of just dismissing things as, you know, regular teenage angst or challenges that all kids have, but really listening to them. Because I think our kids actually do give us lots of clues that um, they may be struggling, and these are opportunities that parents uh, can, you know, grab hold of to be able to start to talk to them and to be able to figure out what kind of supports they might need. One of the things I think a lot of parents struggle with, especially in the teen years, is is what is adolescence and what is a, a more dangerous signal? How do you differentiate the two? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I think um, what I find is that, you know, adolescents, you know, certainly they, they can be moody, there can be ups and downs, they can be going through a lot of stress in terms of social. But I think when you start to notice that it's impacting upon their functioning, so maybe kids aren't sleeping as well as they used to, they um, aren't engaging in activities that they used to find um, or fun. Um, those are times that you really need to kind of uh, ask ask kids, you know, you know, I'm wondering what's going on for you and notice that you haven't been engaging in X, Y, and Z or you haven't been uh, socializing with your friends as much. And I think that's, that's the time when you can determine if more help is needed. I, I mentioned anxiety. I have had uh, some conversations with educators over the years and, and authors and researchers, and, and they... T- point to an exponential growth in this problem of kids of of class avoidance because of anxiety. Are you seeing that? Yeah, I I absolutely am. And I think in part, it's sort of two two ways. Uh, One, I think that we're talking a lot more about mental health. um, And so there's a lot more discussion about anxiety. I think anxiety probably was always there. But I also think kids are under a lot of stress. I mean, the research shows that you know, adolescents are experiencing the same levels of stress that adults are at this stage, but they don't have um, the skills yet, or their brains aren't fully developed yet to be able to cope with the levels of stress that they're facing. So, uh, you know, as educators and as parents, we really need to work to make sure that we can help kids both learn how to manage stress well as well as monitor the amount of uh, stressors that we're putting on them through homework, uh, through extra jobs, or, you know, even engagement in extracurricular activities, which can be fun but also can uh, add to overload. 
One term that I hadn't heard that I heard just recently when in the news we were talking about the EQAO test results and we were talking about math testing for future teachers and all of those issues that are uh, at the top of the news cycle provincially is this concept of, of math mania or math fear, fear of math, that we have put such a pressure on our kids that you must, must, must excel in math. How do we counter that so that they have the skills that they need, but that they're not absolutely frightened and frustrated by it? Yes. And I think, you know, again, I go back to parents on this and educators. I think that we need to see that there are many successful people out there where math isn't their strong suit. Uh, and we need to see kids for the strengths that they have. Uh, certainly all kids need to learn a certain amount of math. But if that's not their strong area, support them that, so that they can get the skills that they need and then really build upon the strengths that they have. Because if they have self-confidence, they're much more likely to be able to engage with things that are hard, and that might be math itself. Doctor, I'm, I'm going to tell you that there's going to be a certain segment of the audience listening right now whose perspective is perhaps, you know, what we need to do here is just buckle down and make them memorize and just, you know, like in back in my day, that kind of thinking. And I wonder if you can address that. Yeah, so I think that when we think about, you know, buckling down and, and just uh, applying ourselves, we have to realize that there are kids who can work exceptionally hard and who do work exceptionally hard, but things are still challenging for them. This can be kids with learning disabilities, but also kids who are um, experiencing other mental health issues. And we need to be able to meet kids where they're at and then teach them in ways that they can learn. And that may mean um, that we need to make things more meaningful for them, or we may need to be able to provide some accommodations uh, that will help them out. So that could be calculators, or it could be giving them models of different uh, work, or making their work much more applied so that it's uh, something that they see has a purpose in life. Karen Milligan is Associate Professor at the Department of Psychology at Ryerson University. Thank you so much for calling in. Great. Thanks for having me. Do you think you deserve free Wi-Fi on your GO train? $65 million bucks. That's what the provincial government's going to spend. Here's Kinga Surma, the MPP, making the announcement this morning. Making Wi-Fi available on GO vehicles will improve the experience for GO customers and make taking GO a more convenient and modern way to travel throughout the GTHA. All right, I'll just, I'll just put this out there. Is that something that the public purse should support? I mean, $65 million, folks, is, is, that's a drop in the bucket in terms of provincial outlay. But if your cell service comes with unlimited data and you're paying for it anyway, then how come the taxpayer's paying for your free Wi-Fi on the GO train? Kinga? I'm sure many of you here today, like me, know what it's like to start working on your way to the office and keep working long after you have left. Many of us depend on having access to the Internet throughout the day. Yes, but do we need provincial money for it? I will suggest we do. I think someone will say, well, some will say, no, no, it should be pay-as-you-go. But whatever we can do to encourage people to get on transit and to use different ways to get around, and if my pitch to you is instead of spending 90 minutes in the car, 
you know, illegally glancing at your smartphone to see whether or not the office has emailed you or texted you something, you can be on a go train wedged in like a sardine trying to do it on your Apple Watch because there's no place to sit down, but you get free Wi-Fi. So that's good. I want to quickly update you on Hurricane Dorian. Brian Baumler, you know him, of the uh, reality TV shows. All of, he has so many now, I can't even recall them all. He has uh, done a lot of work uh, in the Bahamas, and he was on this radio station earlier this morning talking about how it's been so difficult to watch what's going on down there. Here is HGTV's Brian Baumler. It's a nerve-wracking watching something like that come across the Atlantic, uh, obviously with all the different models and not knowing exactly where it's going to end up and how strong it's going to be. This, you know, We thought this would be a, a tropical storm that would spin off into the Atlantic, and uh, it certainly very quickly turned into a monster. And Baumler talking here about the fact that they have a project that they're working on down there. Notwithstanding the fact that we, you know, we have a massive investment we're in the middle of working on uh, directly, potentially in the path of one of these things, but just knowing that there are, you know, there's there's lots of people down there on small islands that are very exposed to this type of weather. So Baumler helping now to get money together, his family foundation to donate money to help support people. In the Bahamas, we're almost out of time. I have time for a couple of quick stories for you. A couple of animal stories. A Berlin Zoo has announced the first ever birth of two giant panda cubs this week. The twins doing well, thanks to the skillful help of a Chinese keeper. In Grand Forks, a female moose looked like she was trying out for running back as she loped across a football practice field at the University of of North Dakota. A university spokesman says the moose wandered into Grand Forks overnight, found its way onto the Memorial Stadium campus. So then they shut the gates because the animal was confined to the practice field until it could be released safely. So in the meantime, the North Dakota football players had to practice next door for their next game against rival North Dakota State in Fargo. Where are we practicing? Oh, no, there's a moose on the field. Uh, And finally, a senior citizen is blaming his dog for racking up charges for pay-per-view pornography. The North Carolina man says he was shocked, I'm shocked, when he received a $70 bill from DirecTV for ordering from Hustler, the Hustler channel. He was outraged. He blamed his dog. He says that the dog jumped up onto the bed, landed on the remote control, accidentally ordered the pornography. He called Hustler and said, I just didn't, I didn't mean to do this. He actually called DirecTV, not Hustler. And, and he said, I didn't mean to do this. They, well, they still sent him a bill. So there you go. Watch out for what your dog is doing. This is the Alan Carter Radio Program. Join me tonight, Global News, at 5.30. Simulcast on this radio station at 6. And then again, I'm back again tomorrow at noon.